Welcome to Hustles Dynamics, a podcast designed for entrepreneurs and business owners, where you'll be joining Wasif and Rakib, co-founders of Build by AI, as we take you through the different dynamics of building your business in the digital age. Hey guys, welcome to another episode, and today we have a special guest, Nasim. How's it going? Good. How are you, Rakib? Wasif, thanks for having me. Of course. Thanks for being on. So I guess first, first things first, tell us about yourself. Oh, that's such a loaded question, Rakeem. Where do I start? <laughs> well, <laughs> so uh, I'm 27 years old, uh, born and raised in Chicago. Um, currently, I work as a cybersecurity consultant at a cyber AI defense company. Uh, I've been at the jo- company for about a year um, and some change. Um, other than that, I have like my own uh, private consulting firm for cybersecurity, so pen testing, risk assessments, things of that nature. And, you know, uh, as every young uh, person who wants to do something in, in, in life, uh, be an entrepreneur of some sort, so side hustles, you know, trying to expand my knowledge, right? Yeah, definitely. And I think one of the most interesting, interesting things about you, Nasi, is just the fact that you're really a big factor in the growth of your company that you're working with currently. Am I correct? Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely see it that way. So I just want to give a rundown. Where you work, it's very sales-focused as well, despite the fact it is about cybersecurity, correct? That's correct. We're, we're essentially a vendor, uh, so we provide a security solution. Uh, I work in what we call pre-sales, which means that like I work in the client relationship building where we're essentially demoing the product to them. Then there's a whole like proof of concept where you kind of like proof the value of what, what it is, right? Um, so I'm meant to be someone who is the technical point of contact for that, so I'm supposed to know everything mm-hmm. related to my the company or and what I'm what we're selling and then also having the client relationship aspect of like building rapport and like being someone who likes to be talked to like oh I say I don't want to talk to this guy (laughs) (laughs) and I think one thing I want to bring up that's really interesting is that you know we went to school together and you actually got your degree in cybersecurity which is known to be a very technical degree so how would you explain your growth in terms of like you know one a lot of people expect like hey once you choose that degree you're stuck doing what you have to do for the rest of your life. Like, how did you get out of that sort of trap of like, I, I'm doing tech, I have to be techie versus like, hey, I can be both techie as well as, you know, very, uh, I guess, extroverted, very salesman-like as well. That's a great question. Um, and, and to give some context, so my bachelor's, I actually got it in finance. So I originally went into the business realm because some, some more background. My father is, uh, I would say, full-bred entrepreneur, you know, mm-hmm. started, like Drake said, started from the bottom, now we're here. You know, he really made a name for himself by doing different businesses and creating a name for himself. Um, and so as I, being the eldest um, of six siblings, um, you know, I kind of was like put in the position where it's like, oh, I'm going to take over my dad's business, right? I think a lot of people can relate with me on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so business I don't was, know if everyone guys <laughs> but like I mean if you do that's dope <laughs> well I think a handful of people can relate uh, where it's like oh you know I have a father and I want to like you know support the business things yeah. of that nature at least I think in this table with us I think we can relate in, in some capacity but um you know that was the thing like it's like oh you know I want to be business focused but in reality like uh I didn't like the whole salesmanship ideology like communicating with people dealing with the rejection the hurt and the anger that comes with like mm-hmm. communicating with someone and telling them like no i don't like this or telling people what to do mm-hmm. uh that stuff always bothered me so honestly tech was almost like a comfort for me like i got into to tech for my master's in cybersecurity. i got a minor in network engineering but 
what I noticed was such a shift. So I went to, we both went to DePaul, DePaul yeah. University in Chicago. And it was such a contrast to Blue see. Blue Demon represent. Blue Demon <laughs> represent, baby. <laughs> hey, man. <laughs> but, um, it was such Actually, a all three of us went to DePaul. Yeah, DePaul. Did we? Yeah. Oh, we did. Yeah. Oh, my God. This is great. Yeah, it's uh, quite some time ago that, yeah. been for me. <laughs> <laughs> You're not that old, Wasif. <laughs> But I mean, I think you can under you can totally see the same thing I'm going to say right now, Rakeep, where the college school, the business school, people, this the, the the environment it was so different compared to like the CDM, right? The mm-hmm. College of Digital Media. Yeah. In terms of like interacting with people, how much people were participating, class engagement mm-hmm. with professors, it was such a stark contrast. So I definitely felt the comfort of like not having to engage with people in the tech side of things, which mm-hmm. is what kind of drew me. Mind I ask, though, do you feel like a lot of people in the business school sort of rub you off the wrong way initially, and that's why you felt the CDM was a closer drive, or you just didn't like being, like, super extroverted in general? Because there's a very, you know, there's a huge difference, and I'll be honest, a lot of people in the business schools are kind of like boasters uh, when they really don't do much in general, versus the CDM, I feel like they're more down-to-earth, despite being more introverted. Do you feel like maybe it was just a bad example going through the business school or you just felt like you were naturally like that i definitely didn't see myself fit in mm-hmm. with these kids i'm gonna call them kids we're, we're in class together and some of them are very enthusiastic some of them are kind of boastful what, whatever it is but i just definitely didn't see myself like i didn't see them as authentic and i was like well mm-hmm. they're kind of lying or, yeah you know I, I just don't trust them Exactly. Yeah, I, I guess sales is kind of like that, like fake it till you make it type of scenario, you know. I agree. I, at least for you know, for the most part. Yeah, I mean, what's up? So, like, kind of, I'm curious. Like, what are some of your experiences with what sales has meant to you? What are your thoughts there? Man, you got to check out our last podcast for the sales <laughs> process. <laughs> <laughs> we literally had a nice deep dive into sales. Uh, sales for me was uh, actually I resonate very well with some of the things that you mentioned because I come from a more technical background and as an entrepreneur, I had to pick up on sales. So it was definitely a learning curve because, um, you know, a, a couple of things that you said that I really touched on was the, um, the like my dad being an entrepreneur as well, having his business. I always felt like uh, sales was kind of instilled in me just because I always grew up around the car dealership. And I just, I, I literally was selling cars when I was like, 14 years old, you know, for my dad helping out and stuff like that. Uh, So I always felt like, oh, sales is easy. I understand business. I know sales. It's easy. But then when you get into uh, tech sales or like selling uh, like virtual products, in essence, it's it's definitely much different than selling a car because a car, they come, they see it, they like it or they don't like it. With with tech sales, you're pretty much um, doing your pitch, your presentation, and they read you. They read your product. They read the the pitch and they decide if they want to work with you or not and uh personally like i figured that if i always offer the best solution i'm gonna my sales will be fine but but that works great when you have like referrals and like your own network of of sales but once you start going out to new businesses it's a whole different ball game so that was that was my like that was my downfall in sales but of course like um after some time you know practicing pitching and and all of that you start to really um, understand the, like how to build a sales process and how to kind of make the sales happen. Uh, and, and of course, the process is everything because when you're selling um, when you're selling expensive products or like high ticket sale items, uh, 
it's it's not like you're just going to go straight for the sale. You're building a relationship and then building towards the sale. So that was my learning curve. It's like building towards the sale versus just, hey, I have this product. Do you want it or not? You know? I'm really glad you touched on the relationship building part because mm-hmm. that's – so I, I do a lot of uh, personal growth work as well as of late the past couple of years. Um, and it's like really defined my mindset around what sales is. You know, there's a lot of stigmas behind it. People generally are very abrasive to the thought of like someone selling them something, especially if I have no rapport with you. Mm-hmm. Like we keep, if you sold me something or wanted me to get into something, I trust you more because I, we, we have that kind of relationship mm-hmm. versus like some average Joe telling me, hey man, buy my CDs. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> no, but of course there definitely is really uh, uh, a hu- a relationship is a huge part of it because people want on p- people want to know that they trust you first before anything before doing business with you. And actually, I I don't want to interrupt, but I feel like again when you meet a lot of the business school kids, I feel like they get very bad understanding of sales you know you'll watch a movie like the wolf of wall street or you know i mean and you know seriously that's what makes up 90 percent business school personalities sorry guys <laughs> i had to break it to you but uh you know they have this very superficial version of sales where it's like oh you have to be like you have to show off and this and that but a lot of times it's really connecting with the person you're trying to sell am i mistaken or not at all no i you know you i think all of us have heard this uh, theme at DePaul where we're talking about oh, DePaul is a great school for networking right mm-hmm. I didn't understand any of that until like I was in my master's mm-hmm. um, one could be like well I didn't ask the right people I didn't like really network with people to understand what that means but like mm-hmm. the whole idea of like it doesn't matter how much you know it's about who you know right the the right amount of hands you shake or the right hands you shake will be uh, the way that pushes you forward to the next be- big thing, right? Like your network is your net <laughs> pre-COVID. <laughs> well, even honestly, no, I would say even post-COVID, it's opened up the doors for even more opportunity to network. Like these apps like Clubhouse, LinkedIn is popping. Like there's mm-hmm. so many opportunities true, to connect yeah. with people. I What I've been doing, honestly, is like if I really connect with someone, I would want to take it offline, maybe have like a virtual coffee with them on Zoom for like 30 minutes, just get to know them or just have a conversation. It is a lot easier. You're right, actually. Yeah. I mean, and so it it's building rapport and I don't even have to like ask them like, oh, like, oh, can you give me a referral or like, I'm really, I want to work for your company, that kind of thing. It's just like, hey, I just want to get to know you as a mm-hmm. person. And honestly, like that connection, like COVID has definitely like brought that to light how much we like in our program we call it yearning so like a deep desire for something right so Mm -hmm. the yearning for connection like we all want to like feel connected with others Mm -hmm. um and and now like all these platforms are really giving us the opportunity to do that and so from a business standpoint like we can totally maximize on that um if we wanted to but if we go back the whole thing is like building rapport you Mm -hmm. know like I, ha- I know this one VP of HO. So some more context. So one of the things that uh, side hustles or businesses, I guess you can say I do, is um, I rent out a car out on Turo, mm-hmm. uh, which is like a car sharing app, right? Um, one of the big, I guess, visions I had around it was that, well, I'm a big fan of Teslas. And I was like, oh, I really want a Tesla, but I don't want to pay for one. <laughs> like, I don't want it to be a liability for me. So I figured, like, well, if I buy it and then I rent it out on Turo, uh, if I rent it out a certain amount of days, I can have my lease payments covered. I can have my insurance covered. And essentially, it's a free car for the rest of the month. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I've been doing for the, at least like the last five months. 
And one of the greatest things I've found is like networking with my renters. Interesting. These people, because yeah. I mean, it's a Tesla, it's a Tesla Model Y for, for more context. Um, I kind of have like a nice like, you know, description and so make it look really nice. So the renters are also very like, you know, uh, some are very affluent people who mm-hmm. are doing a lot of awesome things. And so one guy was like a, a director for some company uh, in blockchain, like a, oh, nice. a, a blockchain expert. There was another woman who was like a VP of HR for some big company. It's like, well, these are like people I would want to network with. Yeah, I mean, they're not necessarily doing the same thing, but like if they get to know me and I get to know them, it's like, oh, I know this person. Mm-hmm. It's like just building that rapport for, for later. You know, it, it can come in handy at some point knowing someone like that, right? Are they usually people traveling to Chicago, like visiting Chicago, or are they usually people? Yeah, right? That's essentially, yeah. So they're in maybe a different state. Um, mm-hmm. They want to stay for the weekend, so they'll rent out a car on Truro. Nice. Very um, cool. A, a cool thing is sometimes their companies will pay for it, so it doesn't really matter how much. It Maybe, costs yeah. like oh, it's they'll just expense it. But a connection is still a connection. Connection is still a connection. One hundred percent. Yeah. So then, how can you describe your growth, your journey of growth from like thinking sales as something that's just kind of disgusting to sales as in, hey, it's actually a good thing after all. Ooh, that's that's a really good question. I think a lot of us are kind of in the journey of that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, well, how do I not feel like? a gag reflex when someone is trying to sell me something like yeah. something on Instagram like no I don't want to buy your course <laughs> oh my god <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> um, but like if I know them like it's kind of a different reaction I mean maybe you might feel a little turned off by it but it's like well this is someone I trust I know mm-hmm. them kind of personally there has to be something deeper behind it so that's one way but going back to the whole changing my mindset around sales um this honestly didn't happen or i didn't actively challenge my beliefs around this up until maybe a year ago um, i've been doing like a lot of personal growth work at um it's actually very uh, here in chicago um right foundation it's called for the realization of human potential and a lot of it is really understanding how it's, it's neuroscience based so it's taking you know philosophers and ideologies and, and theories within psychology I mean, using it to create a structure where we're constantly changing and evolving as humans. You know, like for example, if I'm, uh, let me give you a great example here. When I started at the program, um, I was a college student who did not have a job. Um, I did not have any money per se. I had a nice credit card with a $8,000 limit on it. Discover it, sponsor me if you can. (laughs) (laughs) And, that's really all I had and you know I, I would make some money here and there from small things I would do but it's not a full-time job and so mm-hmm. when I did the join this program there's obviously a, a fee associated with it and so there's a concept of like well emotional intelligence social emotional intelligence that's really the work you know the more EQ have you guys heard of EQ that yeah term? emotional, emotional intelligence. exactly yeah so like IQ is like oh how smart you are you're, you're your ability to like you know deal with concepts eq is like the emotional understanding like how do you have better relationships with people how can you work better with in teams uh all that kind of stuff and so we focus primarily on eq and how that is a much better um you know way of living than just focusing on how smart you can be so then let me ask you this question let's say you know i'm working as a software developer would you still say eq is more important than iq then well it depends what your where you see yourself in your career. Mm-hmm. Do you want to stay as a software engineer? Or are you content with you know, the, the day-to-day lifestyle that you have? Um, I personally do like it, but I mean, again, I, I feel like there's a lot of facets to it. You know I mean? Let's say, for example, I might like management like 
20%, but I like software engineering more, you know, would it be better just to put all my eggs in one basket? Or would you still say maybe the management part you should put more eggs in instead? Well, so uh, that's a good question, but it's not even about management. It's about... Not uh, management, but I mean, like, for yeah. example, like the connections-based, networking-based, like, would I rather be, like, the best software engineer at Google, like, IQ-wise, technical-wise, or would I be, or would you say the better off that I focus on the networking side, the people side of things? It's essentially, I'm saying IQ versus EQ. Would you say EQ is always more valuable? I think there are actual studies and, and reports that I actually read online recently that focus on EQ being a much uh, stronger, um, what do you call it, like assessment to a person's future growth at a company and what kind of value they can add to it. So it's, it's a lot easier to teach someone how to be in a company than someone who's already coming in like gung-ho, knowing everything, right? Mm -hmm. And then it's like tough to teach them like, hey, like calm down or like this is what you gotta do. Because then you kind of do, people have complexes around like authority issues, right? Mm -hmm. That's an EQ thing. If you don't have the emotional understanding of like, well, why do I, why am I even triggered by you as my manager? Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> why am I even triggered by my coworker doing this or that? How can I like work with other people or deal with my emotions so I can see you as like someone uh, we call it like whole and complete like you are a person and whatever you're saying is not a reflection of me it's mm -hmm. more a reflection of your own experiences and what you know to be I, so if we kind of does that kind of answer your question Rakeem? yeah so I think you say in, in the end it's important but there's a balance between what you're doing I just want to gauge like hey is EQ always like something you should focus on even if you're in like certain jobs like accounting or tech you know I think it's important job or no job um, you talk about your relationships with you know if you're you have a spouse with your kids your parents whatever it is um, emotional uh, understanding is, mm -hmm. is vital in every aspect of your life. 100%. Like yeah. empathy and uh, definitely. So then, actually, I just want to bring up an interesting like study. They actually got a bunch of kids who are really smart, you know what I mean? Super high IQs, and they tracked them over the long term, and they showed no correlation between IQ and success. A lot of them didn't really even make it to be super successful. And it's interesting because, like, even think about a lot of the small businesses people start up in the past, like you, like car, you know, it could be like a car dealership. It could be like I'm selling surfboards next to the beach. You know, it's something that's really not high IQ at the end of the day. But those guys are probably making bank versus some super genius, you know, what I mean, who doesn't have a lot of social skills at the end of the day, mm -hmm. you yeah. know, so. so. No, so I'm, I'm curious because I, I, I definitely agree, like um, EQ is, is, um, it's critical to your self growth, you know, but but also like wh where where do you draw the line between like letting your emotions control your actions and like making knowledgeable decisions? Mind I interject as an EQ also part of that is knowing when to say no for and sure. Stuff. Yeah, no yeah, to I was boundaries. Definitely. Yeah. It's understanding those boundaries. It's like, can I let let my emotions control me or can I control my emotions? Like, can I let it guide me? So I think the great example is like, so in our program, we talk about Emotions are five primary. So there's fear, hurt, anger, sadness, and joy, right? And all four of them are bad. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. And so the, the whole thing is that, well, if you ask people sometimes, like, well, of these five emotions, which one would you say is bad? People generally say, oh, fear and sadness is bad. Anger is bad. But in reality, all emotions have a purpose for us when we're 100%. engaging with people. Anger is very important to use in businesses oftentimes when you don't get what you want. There's a, obviously a delicate way to use it. Can you mm -hmm. provide an example of that? Because that's very important. It's very, Closed it's, mouths don't get fed. Mm. 
So like equal. So like, would you say like, hey, let's say you deserve a raise. Do you believe you should be angry at uh, upper management for not giving you that raise? Well, why would I be? So like, you feel like you deserve a raise and they didn't give you a raise. Why do I think I deserve a raise? Because let's say, for example, you put more output than other people. Have I presented that to to my management? Yes, and they denied it to you. Have you asked them specifically what the reason was for denying it? So th- that's all actually a very good use case or use example of, of what this is. Um, oftentimes in the corporate world, right, if you're not satisfied at a, ju- at a company, they will generally jump ship because they're not being seen or like, you know, they're not valued mm-hmm. as much. They're like, oh, they're, they're not promoting me, this and that. Yeah. So, th- I mean, two things generally happen. One is that you either stick around and you just kind of like deal with it. Mm. Or the other is that, well, you just jump ship. You go to another place where someone else will value you more. So I, I'm kind of trying to figure out, like, if anger is good in certain business cases, like, where would it be? So I think a good example, it, let's talk about consulting, right? Mm. So uh, yeah, I think definitely. So I, I want to actually pivot this to you, Wasif. I'm curious, what are some of your examples with maybe working with clients or coworkers where you have seen anger being used, which is important for you to get the results you want to get? Yeah, I think, like, controlled anger of course like not like losing your cool never lose your cool in business but you could demonstrate anger in a very professional way where it's like um especially in my position like i work a lot with uh small businesses and a lot of times they don't have the resources to keep things moving as fast as i would like as a as like a as a solution provider you know like for sw house specifically like providing them web solutions or um, pretty much any type of digital solution that they need for their business. Um, I would say like anger comes into play when like things aren't really moving and they push it on to me where it's like, hey, why isn't things moving? And I feel like you have to be very assertive and you have to kind of make it clear that like, hey, look, I'm waiting on you. And, and sometimes you might come off like an asshole doing that. But like you have to you have to demonstrate that like, hey, look, I'm pissed because things aren't moving and it's not really on me. Um, so as a consultant, that happens a lot where like clients, they want like when you're working with the business, uh, especially when you're working with different departments within one business, like if you're working within a business and you're dealing with multiple people in that other in your client's business, a lot of times things get pushed around within the business just because so, nobody wants to take blame. So who do they always blame? The outside consultant. <laughs> right, yeah. I'm sure you know about that. <laughs> <laughs> Or keep his left the chair. <laughs> <laughs> no, but definitely. So I think when you demonstrate like anger in a in a very professional way, they know that hey, like he's serious. He's not he's not playing, and I think that's important, especially when when um, things are kind of being held up. And and as a consultant, a lot of times like when we when we um, offer a solution. Uh, I'm not sure how familiar you are, but like when we have a contract, usually it's like 50% upfront and then 50% after the uh, project completion. Right. So if we're holding up on the, our final 50% payment and it's the client's fault, we get kind of angry, you know, because um, the longer a project stays open, the more it's costing us as an agency. Um, so so I think it's it's really important to kind of put your foot down and be like, hey, like, look, if, if, if we're gonna like, prolong the development or the the just the project in general then either that's going to come out of your pocket or we're going to sign off on it you know and 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 i think that um i think when you dem like when you demonstrate that little bit of like like i i feel like um i i don't know like anger for me feels like a bad word in business 
but at the same time like you know you have to demonstrate that that like hey i'm pissed <laughs> like it's kind of like a necessary evil kind it of it is like. for sure especially when you're working with small businesses that aren't taking accountability you know like because then nothing will get done and and as a as a solution provider you want to try you want to aim for highest success rate with your projects me personally like i hate like like projects that stay in limbo or projects that I feel like aren't going to succeed. I, I I would rather disconnect from those projects than keep uh, prolonging and keep like having the client drag me along with them. You know, I think that's great. I think you're really exuding. Uh, what I really want to highlight is the assertiveness aspect. So when we talk, when I talk about anger in like the business context, there's usually two ways, right? One is like reactive anger, where it's like you completely blow up on a person, right? Mm-hmm. How many times have you heard like a client just blows up on a consultant because they didn't meet their expectations mm-hmm. or oh, you suck, this, that, and just completely unrelated, right? Mm-hmm. The other is like assertively using my anger to say, this is where my expectations were not met. This is what I expect. But you can hear it in the voice. You can see it in their eyes, that like that kind of anger. Because mm-hmm. the emotion is always going to be there, right? 100%. Like whether we want to like say it out loud, right? Like the anger is going to be there. How can I use my anger towards a purpose? Mm-hmm. You kind of think about... Um, this is a little off topic, but like breaking up, right? Like if you if you're dating and you get uh, something happens in your relationship, you know there's two ways general people handle. Well, not two ways, but there are different ways people handle it. One is like you kind of sulk over it. There's you, Marvin's like, room. <laughs> Marvin's room. You play some Drake. Um, you eat a lot of ice cream and junk food and watch a lot of Netflix. You kind of like you know deal with your yeah, the grieving emo- process. You yeah. deal with your emotions that way. Or there's a, a, I guess, a positive way to, to deal with your grief, which is like maybe going to the gym, better mm-hmm. yourself. How can I level up? Maybe going on a trip somewhere else. Like right? chan- channeling that energy. Channeling, yes. Yeah. Channeling the emotion in a way that is more beneficial to. So we got two sides, other. Marvin's room and headlines. So I actually have. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's, that's really good because I have a great example of, of how, um, how somebody I know personally transmuted that energy and did something great. Like I have a friend who, <laughs> so he lives right down the street in the in Gold Coast, um, and and basically he he was looking for a store that sold some tobacco product, and he didn't find anything in his neighborhood that did it that that sold that product. So he was pretty pissed off about it. Like man, angry. Like how how. Like I live in Chicago and it's a good neighborhood. How can how's there not a store that offers the product that I want? So what he did was he opened up a, a store himself called Gold Coast Market right down the street on Chicago and Clark. Isn't that where we just picked you up from? Yeah, last it is. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it's it's really interesting the the concept like the, the the concept of the store is like they have people come in and if they see somebody shopping for something and not make a purchase or like maybe not find what they're looking for. They literally give them a card that has like an email and a text line on it where you can call or text them and they'll stock whatever product you're looking for. So they build the product around what their customers are looking for. That's amazing. Yeah, it's It's a great business. Exactly. So and that all came from like the anger of like not having the convenience or like the store in the neighborhood, you know, or a store that carries the products that he wants in the neighborhood. That's a great example. Definitely check out Gold Coast Market. <laughs> I see. So you believe that even can fear be useful in business? Then? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's. No, I'm, I'm glad you asked that question because fear is a primary emotion that comes up in almost everything we do. For example, this podcast, me driving over here, there's a fear of like, oh, what am I going to say? How is this going to go? Mm-hmm. Right. 
Am I gonna let the fear consume me, or am I gonna use my fear dr use my fear to drive me towards something bigger? So, trusting it's kind of like two. Pro one is like fear is an emotion that has like two different actions. One is like scarcity, where it's like having a scarcity mindset where you kind of like look at the world and be like, oh, I, I can't do this, or mm -hmm. I can't think dream big. Like I'm never gonna get these opportunities in life. That's kind of like a mm -hmm. scarcity mindset. The other is like trusting yourself in the fear. Where it's like, hey, you know, like I can get to that point. You know, what's the worst that's going to happen? Mm -hmm. That's kind of one way that I, I, I like to look at it. Um, I, if we even go back to like cultures and society. So I, I come from a South Asian house culture, Pakistani household. And uh, I mean, you kind of look at the background where, you know, my family comes from uh, kind of a war torn society. Mm -hmm. You know, there was civil war. Uh, my grandparents have seen a lot of bloodshed and pain. And I, I think a lot of like people in South Asian, Middle Eastern uh, cultures can can resonate with that i think you can as well Rakeep and, and wasif but understanding like there's a mindset that is developed from that right there the trauma that comes with it and then so when when i have kids from that trauma and my kids for example my father um he's like the second eldest of like five but his big thing was that well i want to get out of this situation mm -hmm. um and so he worked his ass off i mean he left the country when he was like maybe 16 or 17 or something mm -hmm. just traveling and came to america by himself made a name for himself you know classic uh, uh american dream the american dream mm -hmm. right chasing that but there's so he's using that anger and that fear towards something bigger where it's like i want to make a name for myself he's gunning through making doing a lot mm -hmm. of stuff and so he basically me even being here in this podcast is kind of like the successes he created for me to even have the opportunity to connect with you guys mm -hmm. at DePaul, right? Of course, mm -hmm. of course. So, but there's always like a cost, a benefit, or, or cost benefit analysis. It's kind right? of like, like a pros and cons. with all of, of these course. emotions. Yeah. And, so, okay. for someone to have that much drive to just push, 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 right? And then you get married, you have kids. Well, what kind of relationship do you have with them? And so that's where the EQ part comes into play a little bit more, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you mm -hmm. have the emotional understanding of like, well, there are certain needs that needs to be met here, um, then well, as as the kids grow up older, uh, as my father is now starting to like settle down, he wants to like spend more time with the family, well, the kids aren't there because the kids are trying to do something else. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, well, there's a clear disconnect there. I'm not even sure we're, how we got into this topic. No, but definitely yeah. like I mean, about fear. I mean, so growth I, fear, fear, <laughs> no, but fear, fear is definitely a huge driver in business and everything. And even, I don't know if you noticed, but like in a lot of corporations, um, I, I would say like kind of old school corporations, like a lot of people inside the company are afraid of like their higher ups. So like, that that fear is is always kind of capitalized on in 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 corporate America. Even even like in sales, you know, the fear of missing out. Yeah. You know, there's so many. I feel like fear is is definitely a huge driver in business. And essentially, it goes both ways. Like, again, you could be afraid of you know your superiors at work, but at the same time, using fear of like, oh, if I don't go to work, I won't have money. So then, use that fear to drive you to go to work. It's an interesting uh, dichotomy if you really think about it. Mm -hmm. I just want to get into that topic because you know, anger and fear are usually like very bad you know always has very bad connotations you yeah. know and then we got joy <laughs> then uh yeah no definitely and then uh actually kevin hart talks about that a little bit um about how because kevin hart he talks about his background and how he grew up like somewhat in poverty you know like not having much and he like obviously he has kids now and he basically talks about how he never wants his kids to live how he lived 
So that's his drive. It's like that is a fear, you know, 100%. And that becomes like the biggest drive for some people is like the fear of like losing what you have or like not working hard enough to sustain or maintain what you have. So Nasi, can you explain how, you know, what you learned through the Right Foundation helped you in your business to grow? Yeah. Um, I mean, and not your, I mean, the place you're working at to grow. And, you know, also one thing I want to mention, Nasi, you're about to be ahead of a group soon in your company. Is that correct? Yeah, uh, it's a, a, a role that has not been really created, um, mm-hmm. but uh, I have full autonomy around what the job even looks like. Um, but a lot of it comes from like the emotional work that I've done where I'm able to better uh, relate with uh, clients and, and whatnot. So so for context, um, I, I kind of even going back to when I joined the program, right, I had a credit card with a $8,000 limit, <laughs> no job, but I was willing to bet on myself. So I, I used my fear to trust myself and say like, hey, I'm gonna make something out of myself. This mm-hmm. program tells me that I'm gonna have better relationships, I'm gonna make more money, I'm gonna have this and that. All right, let's put it to the test. You know, they have all these like statistics around it. And so I bet on myself and I went through the program. Through the program, I used a lot of the tools and skill sets in my interviews. And honestly, I've never had better interviews than I had when I was in the program, just mm-hmm. communicating with the, the interviewee to the point where it's a technical role, uh, not even at the company that I'm in, but like Cisco, other, these other companies, it's not even a technical, uh, I'm in a technical role, but we're not even getting into those questions because we're just kind of like really engulfed in the getting to know each other, mm-hmm. the report part, because I'm selling them on me mm-hmm. without my, t- I mean, you have my resume. Which yeah. I think, I, honestly, that's more important than than anything else, I would yeah. say, personally. Yeah. Actually, it's interesting. Could you go into deeper? Because I really like to get into the entrepreneurship aspect of it. Because, yeah. you know, again, like entrepreneurship is usually like your own thing and stuff like that. But it's, your case is so interesting in the fact that, you know, not many people get to do so well within a company that they had their own group and they sort of create their own job themselves. Like you're, you're basically an entrepreneur within a company, which is so rare so could do you mind just going through that interview process like how did you sell yourself better than other candidates thank you um so i would say at my company it wasn't that too difficult to be quite honest with you um i think the biggest thing for me was uh i sold myself i I spoke about the job as if i already had the job and i was like okay so how are we going to be doing this as if like i'm already a part of the team Mm -hmm. i spoke with one of the team leads who uh, is now much higher up now but at the time, you know, I spoke to them as if like, oh, well, she's my manager. And so like, how do we do this? How do we do that? As if like, you know, it's just a day to day operation versus mm-hmm. like, oh, please, like, take me in. I really need you. Uh, kind of really like this job. really converting that scarcity to abundance. Like mm-hmm. I have the yes. job. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Like I'm because the biggest things I've realized from interviews is that I want to get to know if you're someone I want to work with, like mm-hmm. I like working with you. And that's again, where the EQ part comes into play. IQ is great for your resume. I mean, I, I got your credentials, but like, mm-hmm. I don't need you to like do Python scripting in front of me or like deal with this complex network deployment. Although in co- consulting interviews that I've done, I've, I've gone through that use case, uh, yeah. which is common, but the EQ part plays very strongly in that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if, yeah. yeah. I think a lot of software developers in general, I know I don't want this to be software developer pro kids, but like, you know, no, this kind of from our experience, you know, that's how it is. A lot of them really ignore a lot of EQ stuff. Like um, I'd say one person I know at the, you know, computer science program, really smart guy, definitely a lot smarter than me, but he only knows one thing, which is data structures and algorithms. Mm. If you ask him a question outside of that, he will 100% fail it, you know, like we were doing stuff about like databases, just learning through it, you know what I mean? And this was for an interview. He could easily just research himself, but he goes up and tells him, I didn't learn it yet. 
I can't do it. And I'm just like, that will automatically fail you. It's kind of like that SpongeBob episode. He's like, tell me your name. You know, he's a badass waiter. But once you tell him, like, what's his name? He's like, I don't even know my name. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, like it's, it's like that sort of thing. And a lot of people realize, like, you could be, and don't get me wrong, obviously, data structure algorithms are amazing to learn. But, you know, you can't put all your eggs in one basket. You got to put at least some into the EQ section or something. Like, even if you don't know a question, in technical interviews, don't say, I don't know, I didn't learn it yet. It just makes you seem like, oh, well, I don't care. I have no self growth Well, you know, I don't know, but here's my best guess on how to do it. Sometimes explaining what you don't know and maybe a solution is still way better than saying, I don't know, and I don't know what to do because it mm -hmm. tells the employer that this guy, without any help, can't do anything by himself. You're going to get stuck, basically. Yeah, it's like without his teacher telling him every single curriculum aspect, he can't do it, you know, and that's a really big uh failure I see with a lot of like technical people I think you highlighted really one of the key uh, issues uh, in, in this realm where um, dealing with these technical positions um, we got to look at where uh, um, IT sits in a business right at the end of the day the business's end goal and objective is to make money yeah of course that's what it is you know I can be the best like cybersecurity guy or the best you know data big data analyst or whatever but at the end of the day if my job is not making money for the company then you know it's it's there's kind of a gap there so it's understanding well all right i, I know all this technical information but then driving uh, sales for the business or being or in relationship in the company i need eq i need to be able to communicate well with other people mm -hmm. to your point about like what would be the growth mindset thing to do say if I didn't know a certain skill, I was asked. I can say something like, "Well, yeah, I'm a, I'm a fast learner. I don't know this concept, but I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm willing to learn." Like they learn. they love yeah. when they say, "I'm just willing to learn," because mm -hmm. so few people say they just say, "I don't know." Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, and so to to kind of segue into the role that you mentioned about me, like this is one of the key things where this role. Um, I spoke with my technical director when he was presenting it. And he said he really liked my work ethic. He liked how I communicated well with clients and coworkers. And he, a word he used, I was very motivated, meaning mm -hmm. like I was always willing to learn. And I didn't have any issues like asking people for help, like asking my team lead or my coworker for assistance. Oftentimes that's kind of like how I would do my job. Like there would be concepts or terminologies these really technical people are using. I have like no idea what they're saying. Mm -hmm. So I'll be in the background on, on the Zoom call, like Googling, right? <laughs> what does this mean? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, I got you. Yeah, the, the specific oh, that's protocol. a website. <laughs> <laughs> oh, computers. Yes, I know what that is. Yeah. <laughs> Type you on the computer. <laughs> but like, that's kind of what it is. So it's, I, I don't like the say like oh fake it till you make it but it's like understanding like mm -hmm. there's still I was, I, I, yeah i, I wanted don't, to. i don't want to say fake it till me I, I i prefer saying this be who you want to be is a better term like you know how you thought about like you pretend you, like you wanted to have that job so you acted like you had the job at the interview you know what i mean like you weren't like you were in a way faking but you were being who you want to be at the at the same time i was manifesting my highest the highest vision for myself exactly that, yeah, that's, that's what that's i mean good. like be who you want like don't ever think about like fake it till you make it because that's again i think it's very negative connotation to it think about it like i'm being who i want to be obviously there's there's a difference between like yeah. these people who fake it the whole way through like look i'm rich and they try to show it off to other people is <laughs> the fact that i'm rich what would a rich person do you have to think about it like that, you know. But uh, like, once you got in the job, then how did you then manifest yourself to being ahead of a certain department at that point? 
Yeah. I, I th- so this goes back to what we were talking about, like relationship building. Um, in my role, you know, we're again client facing, so on and so forth. But even within the company, there's not a lot of interaction with like tech people outside of your office, let alone like in a different state. And so I made a strong point to like network with like senior team leads, senior you know cyber technologists, directors, sales. How leaders. so? Like just so if I'm in meetings with them, I show up in a way where it's like oh. This person is someone who actually has a personality. Like I can, I can like actually gauge that he has some more substance beyond just his presentation we're mm-hmm. about to do, right? Like he has a life outside of this. Yeah. And so similarly, asking questions, like I, I almost see someone, even if they're a sales director or manager, I would ask them questions like kind of how we're talking right now. Like I don't see them as like this, like a god projection or something like that. Like oh, they're so amazing, and mm-hmm. I need to like stoop down to them i treat them as a human like oh some people ask like that general question like oh how, how's your day going or oh, the weather right mm-hmm. you talk about the weather it's like oh, oh the chicago bulls this you know they lost another <laughs> yeah, yeah. game or something <laughs> but like if i really want to build rapport that means like asking more specific questions about you like what did you do over the weekend or asking about your family and then getting more specific about that that's a lot of the times how i build relationships with my clients with the sales leadership and whatnot a lot of it for me was just having those one-on-one conversations sometimes i've had like 20 minute calls offline um maybe in between like meetings and stuff just to connect with someone but that was like coinage or like you know that really helped prop me up in a position where it's like oh nase yeah like we know nase because he's been showing up in meetings and he has really great feedback or he gets a lot of great feedback and so i think he is one of the best candidates for this role Mm-hmm. So even like before I joined the company, I did manifest this point where it's like I do want to be like a senior within the next year or two years. I do want to like be a team lead of sorts. Now I'm in a role which is it's called the partner technical lead. Um, we can get into the, the the bits and bites of it if you guys want. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but reality, what it is, it's really focusing in on on the skill sets that I have and where I want to be. Which is like yeah, having a technical background, like understanding what the technology does mm-hmm. and whatnot. But a lot of it is communication, like connecting with clients, because that's uh, a skill gap that um, was seen. And that's something I've essentially invested, right? Like the growth work that I do, it doesn't come free, right? Um, that I've been doing mm-hmm. at the, the right foundation. And so that's almost essentially the investment that I put into myself to get this role. Mm-hmm. And so the job itself, it puts me in a position where it's like, I can use these skills and this experience to then start my own consulting business on a much bigger scale um, or the bigger visions that I have around maybe being some sort of like a, uh, a coach, a business coach or um, emotional, we call it like emergence coach, mm-hmm. right? Um, so things of that nature. But uh, the skills are something that are, is very invaluable for me and I'm, I'm really happy that I was even you know considered. But honestly, I manifested it, mm-hmm. and, it and it happened. Mm-hmm. So Interesting, so you, so you were separating yourself by other salesmen based just on relationships alone then? As a tech, at, in a company where, you know, there's a, there's a bridge or a gap, uh, a communication gap between the sales side and the technical side, um, I was essentially that bridge, or I wanted to be that bridge, where it's like I have really great relationships with the sales side, sales team, because there's, there's oftentimes at many companies you may have, have known where there's always a clash, like tech people do not get. Yeah, get, very common. Of course, yeah. They don't get along with salespeople. But I'm like, well, no, I, I get along well with both. So, and I think that was one of the key separators for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
it's interesting. I do feel like people are very good at both, like really do succeed. Like, of course, again, of course. Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos, they're very technical people, but they're also, you know, they have to have some, uh, you know, idea of building relationships, talking mm-hmm. with people, like having that like duality is really tough for a lot of and people. And having the make. business mindset as well. Exactly. Because I feel like they're two different worlds. So do you ever feel burnout at work? Have you ever gotten that feeling or? Yeah, um, actually it's happened a few months back where the workload was getting big. Um, you know, I was pretty much maybe had like 30 or for an hour to myself during the day and I'd have to like kind of get like 15 minutes in between meetings. And so, so some more context, I'm also a type one diabetic. So for me, I need to like, you know, obviously take care of myself mm-hmm. through the meetings, eat properly, things like that. Uh, stress obviously is, mm-hmm. is a factor as well. And so I, I was very uh, upfront with my, my manager. I, and this is something that some people may not even think about doing, but it's like telling them, telling them straight up like, hey, uh, I feel burned out about this. You know, like I, I just feel like I'm doing a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we had just had a transparent conversation about like, okay, well, they looked at my metrics. They looked at the accounts that I was working on. I was like, well, shit, yeah, you, you kind of are doing a lot. But then the, the fun thing where it's like, well, oh, no, I don't want to be a burden. So I'm just going to champ it through. It up, I'm just yeah. going to suck it up and, and deal with it. And and I kind of did, but obviously it didn't serve me well. Where it's like, oh, well, why did I do that? Mm-hmm. Well, it's because, like, oh, am I trying to prove myself to him? Well, I, I don't need to prove anything. Like, mm-hmm. I, I have, you know, I'm doing well. And so then I circled back and I told him, yeah, I, I would like it. And honestly, it, it was difficult. Like, you know, there, the emotions that are coming up in terms of like, oh, man, I don't want to be a burden. I don't want all my stuff to be passed on to someone else. Or maybe I'm not good enough. Or it's like, oh, I, I should be able to suck it up. But it means that, like, yeah. if I'm busy, that means it's a good thing. Yeah. It's like, well, no, not necessarily. At what cost, right? Mm-hmm. My mental health and, like, not getting enough sleep and how does that show up in my personal life? Am I mm-hmm. stressed out outside of my working hours? Mm-hmm. Am I not going to the gym? Am I like uh, kind of loopy at home or something? Mm-hmm. Like, Definitely, and it, I, I love how you have an, uh, an emphasis on well-being. So c- can you talk a little bit about that? Because I know uh, well-being is vital for an entrepreneur or even an entrepreneur where you're just kind of, like you said, doing a lot of different things and focusing on uh, not only personal growth, but actually growing a business and growing a team and, and doing all that. And also, my name is Jack. We actually did an episode specifically on burnout because it was interesting, like with Wasif's experience at uh, Clubhouse, a lot of them were saying they were burnout. So, like, it'd be awesome if, like, let's say you're, ha- you're in a Clubhouse room and everyone's saying they're burnout. What would you tell them? Well, I, the great thing is, well, if, I don't know if it's great, but <laughs> everyone has a different reason for what the burnout is, right? One mm-hmm. could be overworked. Another could be they're just pushing themselves to the limit or they don't have proper boundaries. I think that's actually that's kind of what I'm thinking is like boundaries are not Mm -hmm. being set. 100%. It's like, well, how can I separate? Oh, self-care around like going to the gym, maybe some time for meditation, like these little things that we sometimes just overlook. Like I think a great example for me is that, well, I have this work day, right? Eight hours. I had maybe an hour or two in between my meetings where I could have worked out. But why didn't I? What What did I do instead? Oh, I kind of scrolled through Instagram. Yeah. Or I watched some YouTube, some snowboarding videos that are, yeah. are great, but they're not going to help me really. <laughs> so it's like, well, h- setting those boundaries and being very on top of myself around it, right? Um, so I'm not feeling the burnout. So kind of a personal one. Do you feel like a lot of companies nowadays are pushing employees to be burned out compared to previous generations? I don't know if there's a 
a theme around it. The key was expectations. So my thing, I mean, this is my theory. I do feel like considering how much harder it is to get into stuff, like I remember just seeing an Instagram post, like this is how much it takes to be a medical doctor for the boards 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. And this is how much it was now. And it's like almost like 20% more. Mm-hmm. You know, we are expecting to do a lot exactly. more out of our work, you know, like, hey, not only are we developing, you know, before developing an app took a very long time, a very kind of slow process. Now it's like we need an app done in a couple of months. We need mm-hmm. this done in this, you know, and there's a lot to do, like, you know, especially like our think about the things that really even pay well. You can't even do like business majors anymore without kind of like lagging behind. You know, you have to be there like, you know, as much as we make fun of foreign people, you have to be doctor, lawyer, engineer, you know. Regardless, I mean, I that's just my theory about it. I don't know if you feel the same way. Yeah, I, I think it's a great question. I think for me, it's a little different just because my and I just my, I just started to interrupt, but not every company, you know. I don't want to like, but yeah. uh, like, what's your take on it? Ooh, yeah, I, I definitely think it depends on every uh, career path. Um, to your point, um, being a lawyer, being uh, going down medical school, dental school, like these are difficult paths they're not engineering like you are putting your mind body and soul in the work you're doing exactly um i mean i talked to one of my friends most recently and like i I can literally just hear the stress in his voice as he's telling me about how he's doing Mm -hmm. even though he's not saying it explicitly (laughs) like it i feel sad about it it's like you know because that's just the, the the expectation that's the culture like mm-hmm. if you don't if you don't live up to that, well then you're just not going to survive. Exactly. Right? I think now there's a much stronger emphasis around mental health, where it's 100%. like, well, we should be taking care of ourselves. Um, I think the burnout might have always been there, but I think the emphasis on taking care of ourselves, ourselves now, is much stronger um, than it's ever been. The question is like, are we going to take it or not, or is it just like all hoopla, all psychology? I don't believe in this. I, like at least mm-hmm. from a South Asian household. You know, this stuff is not really seen. Burnout? <laughs> Jazz back to work. <laughs> <laughs> it's because you're on your phone all the time. That's why. <laughs> um, but no, like, I, I definitely think that is, uh, that does have some impact on burnout. Like always being on your phone, scrolling, always have your like face on the screen. Uh, I think that that definitely does have some impact on, on like your well-being overall. I agree. I, uh, one thing that I'm actively trying to work on is not being on my phone before I go to sleep. Because uh, I have noticed a shift where it's like, okay, this one or two times I may have like went to sleep without looking at my phone. I felt fucking amazing in the morning. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. Even though I may have only had like six hours of sleep, five hours of sleep, but I still felt really good uh, versus like scrolling through Instagram the night of before. Course. Like, it's I a, think you allow your mind to just like tune down in a way. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. So, um, that's awesome. Definitely. Definitely. So then another thing is just that you also do, as you mentioned before, you did Turo and other entrepreneurial activities. Can you mention some of like the side hustles that you've been doing alongside of work then? Yeah. Um, so other than than Turo, um, I, have been in the, the foreign exchange uh, currency market for about two ish years as well. And the funny thing is like, I got into it from a place of scarcity. Mm-hmm. So a lot of it's kind of a theme where people who j- generally jump on maybe cryptocurrency, stock market, stuff like that, who have not had any formal education around it, will jump on and be like, oh, this is quick money, right? Like, mm-hmm. oh, it's super easy to do. Um, but in reality, that's not the case at all. Sure, it's quick money, but there are certain disciplines 
there's a discipline that I need to develop in order to uh, consistently make money out of it, mm-hmm. right? Rather than like just say, make some money now and then, because no, not most people will never show their losses. Like you can show your wins, oh, like 100%. maybe you oh, you made five thousand dollars on this trade, but then what about that ten thousand you lost a day after? You mm-hmm. talk about that, <laughs> and so this is kind of a theme for me as well, where it's like. I started down the road where it's like I had a mentor and I learned, mm-hmm. uh, was in the group and whatnot. And I would say from a technical standpoint, so IQ, uh, I can read a chart, like the, the Dogecoin chart and like be able to understand like, all right, where's the, where's the best price to like buy or sell this, this asset, yeah. right? But from the EQ standpoint, there's a lot there for me around di- uh, having my discipline, risk management, right? not the FOMO, right? Like, oh, the feeling of missing out. Mm-hmm. Prices leaving the where you should have bought, but you buy, like, really high, and then the price retraces, Tanks, and you're yeah. kind of screwed. It's, like, understanding all those things and developing that discipline. Mm-hmm. A lot of it comes down to um, how we grew up. You know, the so from a neuroscience standpoint, like, who we are today is essentially an amalgamation of experiences we've had since childhood, right? Tabula rasa. Tabula rasa? Yeah. Who, who's that? Uh, that's uh, the, the blank slate theory. How basically we're all born with a blank slate and our experiences kind of cr- form or create who we are today. I like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that a lot. So and that's yeah, spot on. That's exactly what it is. And, and so when we look at childhood, right? Childhood is formation. Like I am here, now I'm formed. My beliefs around certain things, my authority issues that I may have, my relationship with my parents. This is who I am now. Transformation, which is now part of adulthood, comes when I like actively look at myself, maybe look at myself in the mirror and be like, okay, what are all the things that I can be changing? Like, mm-hmm. so you know, from a neuroscience standpoint, like I have neural pathways that have been created, like certain habits that I have, certain belief systems that I have. How do I like rewrite these pathways to create new habits, new belief systems? Right? There's, there's like for example, if we look at um, Instagram and we're trying to like get. Uh, wealth advice or like inspiration I think that's a big thing mm-hmm. inspiration on demand uh, mm-hmm. you can <laughs> easily look yeah, at it which me. is what most, most coaches are selling nowadays right <laughs> well yeah. more also money on demand but you know that's the promise yeah exactly it's like oh you're promised all these things quick fix you know maybe read a, a book or something and you, apparently you know everything about how to like fix all your problems but those are like quick fixes that's uh, like it, it can work for a period of time not to say it won't work, mm-hmm. but how sustainable is it in the long run? Because eventually you're going to come back into your old cycle, your old habits and belief systems. To actively be challenging it, that's what growth mindset is. I think growth, the word growth mindset is used like in so like many different contexts. A dime a dozen. You hear it all the time. How would you uh, describe like the habits you did to change your mindset? So a couple of things. Well, one thing in particular for me is like, right. Yeah. Again, I just want to say if you don't want to get personal, good, you don't have to. You could just mention like general stuff, you know, other people can follow. No, no, I, I'm, I'm appreciative you're asking the question. Um, so specifically, I'd say one of the, my biggest things uh, that a lot of people can relate with me on is dealing with authority issues, right? Yeah, the police. Fuck the police. <laughs> 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 Fuck my manager. This, oh, you're telling me what to do. Don't micromanage me. Actually, that's very fascinating because if you have a problem with authority, you know, and then working for a company is very hard to transition to, like, accepting the head and then eventually being the head, you know, being the authority. That's a very, uh, 
interesting dynamic. So it kind of goes back to what you asked me earlier about, um, you know, if I wanted to ask for a raise and my boss told me no, how do I deal with it? Mm -hmm. It it goes down to, well, how do you manage yourself? Uh, How do you present yourself in that realm, right? And I think building resilience is a huge part of it as well. Definitely. No, going back to how did you manage to accept authority, like, you know, from a young age, from like hating it to eventually like being okay with it and accepting it? Yeah. So uh, for the first thing is recognizing, well, all right, I, I feel very triggered by what my coworker just told me. They just gave me some feedback. Uh, I'm his coworker. You're my coworker. <laughs> I'm not his coworker. But. How dare you tell me this, that? Like, <laughs> I know exactly what I'm doing. Who do you think you are? Exactly. So these are all the thoughts that are coming to my mind. He's right my now, new right? head of. <laughs> no, I'm just messing. But, uh, um, and so these are hypothetically all the thoughts that I have. It's like, well, my coworker is giving me feedback. Who the, who the hell does he think he is? This and that. CEO Schmissio. <laughs> <laughs> but then, so, okay, I, I can look at the look at it that way, right? And then if I dig a little bit deeper, now it's understanding, all right, this trigger that I have, this reaction towards getting feedback, mm-hmm. what is it to me? Why am I so triggered by the feedback? Is it because of the way you said it? Or why did the feedback not resonate well? What does it really mean, right? And so then you look now back to your childhood. I, I look back to my childhood and look at what authority means to me. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, authority issues generally stem from our parents, realistically speaking. Mm-hmm. For me, my authority issues were with my father. Mm-hmm. My dad you know, would be very busy doing his thing, but at the same time, growing up, always being told what to do, what not to do, was obviously mm-hmm. like focusing on the nots versus yeah. the do's. It's like, well, fuck all this. Like, don't tell me what to do. Don't micromanage me. Like, even as recently, actually, this is really funny. Um, a few weeks back when we had a blizzard in Chicago, we were pl- plowing our, our driveway. And uh, I, I'm like, I, I've never used a snow plow, like a machine one. But it's like, how hard can it be? I'm using it. Like, it's working. The, the snow is being plowed. But my dad is like actively telling me, no, turn left here, bring it back, change this gear. And it's like, how the hell do you know how to use a snowplow? But he's, I felt very, you know, I felt angry about the whole situation. Like, oh, you're micromanaging me, this and that. But it like stems from like from childhood, where it's mm-hmm. like these triggers are like built into my neuro psychology. Mm-hmm. So the next time I see you, Wasif or Rakeep, you tell me, give me some feedback, um, as my dad may have done as a kid. Like, oh, why didn't you get an A? You got a B, that kind of thing, right? Like we kind of like skim over it as jokes, yeah. but there there is a, an actual consequence that comes with it as children, at least. No, and I could definitely relate to a certain extent because my dad would work a lot, so I feel like that aspect of it is like you know when you tell me now what to do, like you never spent enough time to kind of like know me to say stuff like that. You know, it's kind of like you just come in, tell me what to do, then come out. You know what I mean? And I feel like that always bothered uh me to a certain extent you know i i i don't want to say i hate authority you know i mean i'm not like a criminal (laughs) but but, uh you know i always was like skeptical of like you know why is this guy the leader why is this guy like this you know what i mean i've never been like oh wow oh boy you know what i mean we all know how you feel about simon sinek simon sinek i told you exactly like you know i've 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 mentioned a lot of things like you know even like again when i mentioned like i was mentioning this youtube channel to wasp it was called copyzilla as like all these uh like wealth authority leaders he's basically saying oh these guys are all scammers and stuff like that like i'm always looking even for my content that i'm looking for it's always like why is this a scam why is this wrong you know why is this authority like not working like that's uh, i could say that's a lot of the media i consume admittedly mm. 
speaking. So like, I do feel like I think you're trying to find like a common trait, right? In in in, like what, like like what deserves that authority? Like, why does Grant Cardone have the authority to tell me how to be wealthy when he got sued? You know what I mean? How can Gary V tell people how to manage their company, other people how to manage their companies when he only has like a 3.2 rating on Glassdoor and he has like a 50% approval rating? Like that's always my guess. Like if someone's like an authority figure, I really want to know why. Like how did you get to that position? Mm -hmm. Like I'm never like, yeah, Gary V. I love Gary V. I'm always like, what's wrong with Gary V? I'll be honest. Like the first time I heard about Gary V, I'm like, what's up with him? You know, that's my... uh, yeah, I think the way that they put it in CoffeeZilla was um, just because you are you might be a billionaire or you might be rich doesn't mean that you could teach other people how to be rich or how to become a billionaire. Uh, and I think that that's like what, what we mentioned. A lot of these courses are like I, I, like the BS courses, you know, they just kind of sell you. They try to sell you on attitude, but they're really just giving you a pat on the back and telling you, yeah, you'll get there. And you pretty much after, like you said, after some time, you end up right back to where you were before you listened to those. Uh, yeah, so how can you really accept like this authority, especially in the digital age, you know what I mean? When it's so easy to fake how rich you are, you know what I mean? We probably have friends who pretend to be rich on IG when we know like in reality, they're broke as hell, you know what I mean? How can we trust any authority at this point? Now I sound like a conspiracy theorist guy, but like, follow you know, follow the Ty Lopez model. Follow the Ty Just Lopez. Get yourself a Lambo and <laughs> call it a day. <laughs> but for real, like you know, with so many liars and stuff like that, we all a lot of people are having this bad impression of like you know again a business coach, a life coach, or stuff like that, which inherently has some good aspects to it. Like, how can we like finally accept this authority figure? Like, how do you determine that? I think I get it. Like, you're, like what 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 do you what traits do you look for to break through the image? Like just the image, because behind the image, there's the person. I think this is a great conversation. I just to circle back to the Ty Lopez part, um, kind of a little antidote. I, I was on a clubhouse room with him and uh, a bunch of other people. Everyone's like, oh, Ty Lopez is here, and he's like in Puerto Rico. Just talking about random shit. <laughs> and they're trying to ask, people are trying to ask questions, but majority of people would jump on him just like, really just praising like oh you're such a life changer this that please mentor me this it's like okay great let's get to your question but really the feedback it's not from like a credible source like ty lopez grand cord cardone gary v these are people who are successful because they put in the work they invested in themselves to get to that it doesn't mean they have the credibility or the um yeah they don't have the credibility to be telling other people to follow that same model Mm-hmm. It's not going to work for everyone. In our program, this is really the whole process of like human potential, emergence coaching, right? The whole idea is that we as humans all have an inherent wisdom within us to solve our own problems. Mm-hmm. If I sit here and we talk about a, maybe a business issue that you're going through, I don't have to tell you anything. I can hold space for you. You can be talking, telling me what's going on and ask you like what questions rather than like why's, but like, oh, so what does that really mean to you? Or what, what would you do? here what does that mean like prying at the problem more and more because oftentimes we don't really get too deep into our problems like a good example is like telling someone or asking someone like what do you like what don't you like how easy is it for me to tell people what i don't like right like we like to focus on the negative so what do you like or what what don't you want to do with your life well i know exactly what i don't want to do i don't really know what i want to do it's like so it's like shifting the the bad with with the good 
thinking mm-hmm. there. It's kind of like the same scarcity thing. Like, I'm afraid of getting a job versus, like, I have the job. Like, not what I don't want to do. I shouldn't focus on that. I should focus on what I have and what I can do. Yeah. Actually, I did, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I was listening to this podcast. It was really interesting. Um, there were these two guys are talking about how, uh, you know, Logan Paul, like, big YouTuber. Uh, he moved to Puerto Rico, and everyone thought, like, oh, he enjoyed it and stuff like that. But he legit said it's all for taxes. And they meant, and they kind of complained about what he did. They're like, you know, when you focus on, like, just saving money or how much money you're losing, if that's your basis on choosing where to live, you know, that's not a really good place to really choose. You should choose based on, like, hey, here's the wealth I do have. What would be a place I could live in? You know what I mean? Like, it could be Hawaii. It could be whatever. It could be here in Chicago. Whatever the case is, like, it's always good to choose based on what you have rather than what you don't have, you know, not that lack mindset. Yeah, uh, it's it's a lot easier to focus on the negatives than the positives, and I'm, I'm speaking for myself, I think, and a lot of people can relate with me mm-hmm. on that. That's just kind of how we're, we're wired, depending on what our experiences are like. So so then what do you want to do? Yeah, so going back to the authority uh, part, and then I guess we can yeah, talk yeah, on we this part. Definitely. So with the authority part, the reason why I even mentioned, like, going back to my childhood and recognizing well when did that happen then because that's when the when it started right like that that was the the stepping stone or the foundation of me subsequently having these authority issues with other people right Mm -hmm. and so then how do i tend to the the little nase or the emotions that came up for me at the time Mm -hmm. so it's like okay i'm i'm angry when i deal with authority but this is uh something that a lot not a lot of people think about but anger oftentimes at least for men, this is very common where anger is a shield, like an armor we're wearing. And and behind that armor is a whole lot of hurt. That what we- do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? I saw her keep holding his breath. I think you touched on anger was a good thing. <laughs> but no, I, no, I completely agree. No, uh, go ahead. It's like... It's a, <laughs> It's like how do we deal with the the hurt that comes with it? Oh my god, that was great. Thank you. I want to be in Hollywood. <laughs> Please have me. Um, but so, like, how do we tend to the hurt? And as guys, generally, the idea of like, oh, hurt, like, what the hell is that? Like, we don't need to deal with hurt. So it's like the old model of manhood. So they're, they're, now we're getting into a lot of concepts here. But uh, at, at least growing up, like, uh, crying is bad. Emotions are bad. Hurt. You know, man up, man up, yeah, <laughs> suck it up. You know, that's that's for women. Yeah, you know? have you guys seen Coco? They didn't cry once. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, you're a savage, dude. <laughs> um, these Disney movies definitely get me like tearing up, man. Especially <laughs> Soul is another really good one. They just came out. I love that movie. Um, but it's really touching on that. Like, how do I tend to their hurt so I'm able to like then deal with the authority issue that's in front of me, the anger that's mm-hmm. coming up. So this is a really good example that one of the the coaches at the program and you know much senior level has has talked has touched on. He's a he's the founder of a big company uh, that has been bought out by like Capgemini, which is a very big consulting. Company. Oh yeah, I've heard of it. It's a very nice company. So he's very high up there, and he uses a really great example of like what does it mean to use my anger and hurt in, in, in my work, right? Mm-hmm. So. There was some interaction he had where um, he spoke with a client or something on the phone, and uh, the client was completely lashing out. So it's like reactive anger at him, mm-hmm. right? And then vice versa, like he's trying to like deal with the situation and whatnot, and he's done with the call, fine. 
after that interaction, he moves on to a board meeting he has. And he goes into the room, and people are talking and stuff, but he just recognizes how angry he is. And, like, he wants to kind of, like, lash out at people. Or he's, he's just not really present with what's going on. It's like, well, I'm hijacked. Like, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, I relate to that. So then for him, like, he's, he's been doing this work a lot. He was very quick to understand, like, well, why am I feeling so angry? But it's like then recognizing, like, what happened prior, that phone call that he had with them, and recognizing the hurt that he felt and, like, a client basically lashing out for something that was completely out of his control. Mm-hmm. The other part was just, like, just lashing out because he's mm-hmm. lashing out. So he was able to, like, tend to his hurt. And tending to his hurt is a whole different topic. It's, like, the whole concept of, like, self-soothing, positive beliefs where it's, like, oh, I'm okay. Like, this is not on me. Like, this is, like, his his lashing out or that person's lashing out is not reflective of who I am. So it's like not like hurting myself, right? A lot of times uh, people lashing out, for, at least for me, would mean that like, oh, now I have to beat myself up. It's like, oh, well, fuck. Well, why am I? Why do I suck so much? Yeah. This and that, right? So it's like dealing with that negative thinking. Those po- They're essentially power blockers because they don't like push us towards something, right? Mm-hmm. We're not like really growing. We're just kind of like regressing. It's like, oh, all this negativity that's going around me. And so, like, dealing with authority issues in this respect, it's like, well, if I'm feeling angered by something you said to me, or it's like, well, tending to the hurt that I would feel, that, that I felt previously, right? It's like, oh, well, recognizing, it's, it's projections and transferences. Like, we, we've heard the word projections, right? It's like, oh, I'm projecting onto you. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think a great example of this is, like, trolling on the internet, right? Yeah. People who troll on the internet generally, and me and Rakeep have a really funny story about that. Yeah. Funny and sad story about it. I'm sorry, Rakeep. <laughs> R.I.P. my soul. <laughs> but, uh, um, but a lot. This of, is the first time I'm talking to him was, after was, 10 was, years. Was Rakeep uh, trolled online? Or? I was, yeah, I was trolled, a troll. You trolled, trolled, I trolled Oh my shit. Yeah, this is God. high school, man. This is <laughs> high school. Don't bring it up. <laughs> this is hustler dynamics, not high school dynamics. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god well you can maybe touch on it but um no no go ahead no i'm just yeah uh i'm i'm forgetting what we we're talking about no, we're talking about trusting authority figures and you were going through like how to channel the anger based on like again one of your coaches the clients was lashing on him and you know it's hard to be in that feeling like oh it's I, he's angry at me because i suck yeah so uh i was talking about like the negative uh, the, the self beat up around it. Oh, I'm kind of losing my train of thought. Like here. we're going back with the trolling. Like you have must have a negative yes. train of thought. There you go. Yeah, trolling was it was the key term that I was looking for. Yeah, you you went off on how you used to troll oh, people. Oh, yeah, <laughs> that, that was yeah. Like, <laughs> Stop giving him noogie. That's why you didn't mention it because you didn't want to talk about it. <laughs> I'll um, get past that. <laughs> Time for my so swirling. trolling, <laughs> so trolling, <laughs> trolling on the internet is essentially people who are projecting their own insecurities onto people who make content, mm-hmm. essentially. So I'll actually touch on this example between us because yeah. I think this is a great, great opportunity. I, we've never even had this conversation this deeply about it, so it's gonna only be awesome. on the podcast. Only on the podcast, exclusive hustle dynamics. <laughs> Patreon, um, I'm joking, not but yet. that's kind of what it is. Like people saying, "Oh, you, you suck," or you know, all the, uh, yeah. way more profanity based and so much more. But it's like a lot of it's like, "Well, what are you doing with your life?" Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you're projecting your own insecurities because that's something that you would want to do for yourself. But either you're feeling too scared or feeling too down on yourself, beating yourself up that you're just not going to be able to do it. So let me put someone else down so I can feel better about myself. Mm-hmm. That's projecting. Transferring is then authority issues is a great example of that where I'm transferring someone else onto you and not seeing you as like Rakeeb. 
Because when I see you and you're telling me what to do, I would actually see my dad. That's transferences. Oh, so essentially it's just humanizing the authority figure at the end of the day. Interesting. Understanding people for who they are rather than, like, who you are, Rakeep, rather than, like, saying, oh, or, or having preconceived notions like, oh, he told me what to do, therefore he must have, must be like this, this, this. Like, all these, like, preconceived notions that have no relation to who you are. Because, mm. well, I haven't done the work to get to know you. If I had, like, build the rapport, then it minimizes the chances of me even, like, transferring someone onto you because it's like now i'm seeing you as as uh, as a whole and complete person right um, and so it, going back to the the trolling part uh this is 11th grade in, in high school i was hoping we'd get to the story <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. I, I didn't want to ask because i didn't know how personal i didn't know how personal it no, was but it's, it's a very good example i want to hear it's a great example man There's should just, i go start off like my thing and then like, <laughs> your trolling like hurts even more oh than actually whatever. yeah so this is great so rakeep if you want to share what you were doing yeah so in 11th grade i really like playing video games like a lot of high schoolers did and i really want to talk about games even music i was listening to i'd even do like top five songs from certain rappers and stuff it was just basically me like expressing myself onto the internet and i thought it was just a great way for me to like i'm done with school express myself and just make myself like vulnerable to the world you know what i mean and i'm like and i'm like oh let me share this with people i know you know what i mean and see where that goes maybe they'll help me go further and stuff like that so it was really like a point of me like okay guys i'm doing this it might be embarrassing but like you know please support me through it you know and then you can go yeah, and then so basically, Rakeep was coming out with all this content um, and sharing it with us, and we thought it was cool because like no one else was doing it. But there came a point where I felt um, well, I don't even want to go into the feeling of it right now. What it was where I started trolling Rakeep in the comments for the video content that he was making. So like these top five songs or video game reviews, I would write something really stupid and just like insensitive, something like "Oh, you suck" or "This content's not really gonna work out." Like you're wasting your time. Just like really all put my <laughs> videos. <laughs> <laughs> and then your comment would get like 600 likes. No, I, I don't. <laughs> why is it getting more likes than my video? <laughs> Getting more likes than views. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! But man, I remember. Uh, oh my so god! So why were you doing that? I, I'm just curious. Yeah. I don't so know any background of this? It was. I don't know. Like at the time, well, I can get into the emotions of like why I did it, like justifying it. But I'm recognizing where, uh, in our group, it was like me and, and another friend, and I started doing it, and uh, I was kind of like getting push like oh dude that keep doing it yeah. you know like just like nudging you know like, like pure pressure funny, anyway. yeah like, like yeah. oh that's hilarious keep doing it you know yeah. but the boiling point came when Rakeep like actually expressed his hurt about it like he was viscerally like hurt but like he did not like this but he didn't know it was me obviously oh he didn't know it was me because he was looking at like this username like he was really hurt by what i don't know if he ex expressed the hurt I, I, yeah, you, I was pretty, very I was upset. pretty, ang I was very upset about it. And I knew it was someone else because, like, I was telling it to just people I know, you know what I mean? It's very hard to be like on YouTube and then just get a million followers all of a sudden, you know? Yeah. And, and you asked us too, like, oh, is this you or do you know who this is? Yeah. Like, I really and we lied to you. I lied to you. We, we lied to you about it. Yeah, you guys are fucking. <laughs> 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 I know. That's like high school BS. Yeah. You know? But I mean, yeah. it's like, it's, and that's why, like, I will say though, but the truth is, like, it, it hurt me in a way like I never really really want to do entrepreneurial stuff like for years because I just felt like well if I put myself out there I'm just gonna get clowned like it's hard to be like when people close to you are like you know hey you tell them like listen I'm doing this 
and then you just go like you know make fun of that person just put it down it really prevented me from being even vulnerable with myself it was like you know man i can't even tell people what i like you know or i'm just gonna get clowned uh at that point you know i'm older it doesn't matter now but i'm just well, saying, it does like, matter it, it does matter okay so hold on hold on so tell so like let's i want to know more about this story so then what ended up happening did you so, end up telling him that it was you or? so we were in the masjid i remember exactly where we were standing it was like three or four of us and you were expressing yeah. the hurt you felt about this guy me basically <laughs> and like all the bad things like i hope this guy like goes to hell or like something about my family too and i was like fuck like, this yeah, is actually i went hard like he went hard, hard dude like and at that point i was like i can't do this anymore this is not it's gotten okay. too far this basically. is yeah, yeah like it was a reality check for me it's like well what have i become like what am i doing because i've never done something like that before mm-hmm. you like, became like a bully, a bully. I, Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I saw someone who was vulnerable with us right like opening up a business and sharing it with your friends and being open about it like that's a vulnerable thing to do right because mm-hmm, you're opening yourself up to like negativity and, and all that mm-hmm. criticism and, Rick, and whatnot yeah Rick, he was the only one doing that probably in the entire school man honestly yeah very few people like i mean there was another i get also puns from different schools but i mean yeah. there are very few people in general doing it but like and it was good stuff like i like going back like it was really good stuff like if he kept going it like it could really be a big thing but at the time so we're getting back into the emotions part of it like i looked at that and like well shit rakeep's doing this like and mind you like rakeep wasn't like someone who's like very sociable at the time mm-hmm. you know he's like now like starting extrovert to really, in different yeah ways. he's like really getting out of it uh his comfort zone to develop in these new realms where i'm now feeling jealous and envious and so how do i want to deal with it as i'm essentially projecting my insecurities about that to rakeep by calling him this and that, like putting him down unnecessarily at the expense of what a joke, mm-hmm. right? And so we don't really think about it deeply, but like I have a lot of respect for you for doing that. Oh, thank you. No, that's like seriously, like it, it was to be vulnerable like that at that stage, like I wasn't willing to do it clearly, yeah. which is why I trolled you for it. <laughs> <laughs> but it obviously didn't serve me well, but honestly it was a big learning lesson for me as well. Mm-hmm. Now, like with all the growth work I've done, I've reflected on that situation mm-hmm. and now I can like, Viscerally see like well I was I I was uh, insecure about it and I, honestly I I really admire the fact that like admitting you're, it. yeah admitting it and like talking about it and just kind of evaluating that growth that's such a like that's huge man because I, mo- like most people would just rub it like brush it off and just like not even really um, not really get into that deep thought of like why was I being an asshole you know yeah. and I think that's that's big man that's that's huge I big props for that thank you. Yeah, I mean, and so me and Rakeep have, have been best friends forever and shit since then. <laughs> but like we've we've known each other and we've developed our relationship through college and whatnot. But like that was like the stepping stone for me to be like, wow, like I actually really respect this guy, and I need like I need to figure out my own shit, my own EQ, right? My emotions, whatever's coming up for me, are my own. Like it's my, I'm responsible for it. I can't be throwing it out on other people just to like make myself feel better, mm-hmm. right? The, the fear that I'm feeling about like maybe putting out video content, which mm-hmm. comes up from time to time now for me, like on Instagram and stuff, right? But it's like I can't be putting it out on putting other people down just to make myself feel like okay, the, the, like, I'm ready. Yeah. <laughs> so then here's here's an interesting suggestion. What's the difference between trolling and probably like acknowledging like someone's doing something wrong? Like, let's say for you're in Forex, for example. Forex is notorious for a bunch of scammers. Like, is there, is there a point where it's good to make a video, like, clowning a scammer that's doing bad things? 
or that's a good question. I mean, I've actually watched some of these videos, um, and some of them are informative. The others are just, you know, they're just bad. She's yeah. taking the piss out of yeah. another person. <laughs> but in a way, I mean, I look at it as like from an ethical standpoint, right? Well, there's a person here who is realistically scamming people. Mm-hmm. They have no authority to be teaching anyone anything because they're yeah. not doing anything for themselves, um, and they're making a lot of money out of it. They're per- per- portraying a lifestyle that makes no sense. Um, and then someone is making a career out of, you know, exposing them, and and that's pretty much entertainment for the yeah, most part. Yeah, it's, it's, like, it's it's half now, it's like yeah. half notch, half entertainment. Like even the guy, like we were mentioning, Coffeezilla, he just kind of clowns these people. But he even said, like honestly, if I was all educational, no one would watch it. You have to be entertaining on YouTube. It's interesting. I feel like YouTube generates a very like negative space, like just naturally you know what i mean how do you make the most popular videos well make fun of logan paul make fun of really higher up youtubers and that greens your traction mm. and then that sort of then they, they'll attack you at the end of the day and you know then it's like a whole cycle uh it's wild there is a uh, on snapchat there's a segment called drama alert i don't know if you've like seen that when yeah keemstar yeah keemstar yeah that's that's literally what it is like kind of like speaking to certain situations that are happening like it's all drama right and he's kind of like facilitating that space for the drama and so the question is like well what do you really get out of it Uh, and i don't even want to get into that deep about because this is like a whole industry we're talking about like and this is society as a whole i mean uh, the fact that we're consuming this content um and are so like willing to accept it and like the, the amount of views and likes you get on something like this versus like someone who's actually telling you something that can benefit you right yeah because it's interesting clowny content content gets you more views than actually making your own content which is wild uh like content with value yeah no definitely people it's interesting yeah people want to be entertained man yeah so it's 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 an interesting cycle and i realize like a lot of our society accepts a lot of negativity for the most part like i know people who are like i have a cousin who's one year older than me and he's like i love to troll people on instagram I'm just like, bro, what the fuck you're doing with your life? Like, I mean, it's it's like, it's your main goal is to make someone's day worse. Like, you you wake up, you wake up with the feeling like, how can I ruin someone's day? And I just, I don't know why, like, I want to do that. Don't get me wrong, there's a difference between like, hey, maybe you're being aggressive because you truly feel like a type of way with somebody or something like that. But then there's just like, I'm going to, what can I do to get this guy angry? Mm-hmm. Like, what, from, what fulfillment do you get in your life from doing this? Yeah, it's almost, like, sickening, like, if you think about, like, you wake up to ruin someone's day, and it's it happens all the time, you know? I mean, some people, like, who are not poor steal. They have a joy to steal from other people, you know what I mean? It's almost a weird addiction. It's it's kind of crazy. You know, Gary Vee talks about this a lot because uh, people would come to his, like, uh, his his company, you know, like Charlie D'Amelio, all these big mm-hmm. influencers, and a very common question they ask Gary, he's like, well, how do I deal with haters? And Gary Vee has a very, like, straightforward answer about, like, well, I just feel bad for them. I'm very empathetic because, like, how low do you have to be to, like, ruin someone else's day? And I get it. Like, um, it's a great, like, blanket statement, and it, and it helps. But how sustainable is that? Like, uh, is it? can I really just convince myself, like, yeah, all these, like, hundreds of thousands of hate comments I'm getting – they're all just like insecure people and I should be it, mm-hmm. it, it's a whole it's a game it's like a lot of work that I need to invest in myself to bring myself to believe that like because mm-hmm. you can tell me one thing but can I like actively change my mind on it some people can get get sold on it quick but like to, to make it a habit mm-hmm. that's a whole different game and that's where I see like someone like a Gary Vee or, or Grant Cardone they can't sell you on that they'll tell you what to do 
but at the end of the day I have to do all the work mm-hmm. you have to do all the work around it interesting wow so that's a lot to really take in so so my mind I just get at least a good summary since we talked about a lot of different topics yeah. Could you at least go over, like, you know, we're kind of getting out of time, but can you give, like, a general mantra? Like, what are Nase's five principles to success? Or, you know, however many, in a shortened version of it. Like, Yeah, no, great, great question. I think the mantra, I guess, I'm living is, like, how can I find nourishment in whatever work I'm doing? Nourishment for me is finding fulfillment, hap- like, joy, right? Like, how can I, be, me being on this podcast, like, how can I find joy in being here? And I'm, I'm having a great, great time with you guys. Awesome. Yeah, absolutely. And and like, how can I find joy in my job, right? Like burnout is a, is a great example, uh, is a consequence of that. Well, how can I create specific boundaries for myself to take care of myself, but then also do the work? Because the entrepreneurship world is not easy. Like uh, people kind of think like, well, fuck the nine to five. You know, I want to be self-employed and make, you know, do my own thing. Well, mm-hmm. like, do you really understand? I want to be rich. Yeah, I want to be rich. <laughs> I want to be rich, rich. <laughs> The reality is you can make pretty really good living working nine to five and then maybe doing something on the side or maybe not even doing something on the side just, just having five. just doing fun stuff like me i do jujitsu on the side I, I recently picked up on snowboarding like traveling like these are things you know it's really about your priorities and so mm-hmm. it doesn't really matter so the iq part is like oh it doesn't matter how smart you are and whatnot because that just means that anyone who's not as smart as you is just less than you the EQ part is like understanding we're all different people. We all have different wants and needs in life. But we all want to live in a world where we, which works for everyone, mm-hmm. which means responsibly engaging with people, understanding our own emotions, um, and understanding like, well, I find a lot of fulfillment being a software engineer. Uh, I find a lot of fulfillment being a chef or uh, a journalist. Yeah, maybe I'm working really long hours, but I find fulfillment in that versus another person so it's like not beating other people around there's no like golden ticket to success it's, it's different for everyone mm-hmm. and that's where like the emergence coaching or just like the 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 human uh he, the growth process that we have inherently is different for every person so mm-hmm. what means success means to you is very different for me and, and vice versa 100 so i think that's probably a, a good high level summary of what we've been talking about Okay, and then I guess one thing I curiosity since you mentioned finding joy in work, do you feel like you have to be an entrepreneur within your company to enjoy it more? I feel like when I try that, I enjoy it a lot more. Yeah, I mean, it depends on the people. Like, the key things for me was like, I want to uh, use my soft skills. I want to be customer facing and just have my personality shine. Like, I'm not my job. Like, I'm not this tech person. I'm more than that. I have a lot more to offer, more substance behind that. Like, I want you to get to know me there. And so I'm in a position now where I can do both those things versus, like, maybe if I was a software engineer, like, I would not like my job because that's just mm-hmm. not what I want in life. Like, I do want to, like, engage with people and have a good mm-hmm. time. So it's different for every person, but um, I think that kind of – does that kind of make sense? Or? No, no, I, I totally get what you mean. Yeah. Just kind of, like, listen to yourself. I've noticed the more I've listened to myself, like, you know, if something's wrong – what can I do to change it has always been a big thing. I think a lot of people don't even take a second to be like, hmm. I think 100%. I think just being in tune with yourself. I think that's pretty much. Yeah. I mean, that's critical to success in general. That's a mic drop right there. Yeah. <laughs> the self-awareness. It's, that's a game. Like how much more consciousness can I bring, uh, to my life? Definitely. So, Nase, do you want to, like, uh, suggest any socials, any place people can connect with you? 
Yeah, I mean, find me on Pinterest. Um, I have a MySpace as well. You can feel free to reach out there. <laughs> okay, you had me on Pinterest. I'm like, hold on. Who do I? <laughs> Why is he here? <laughs> what did he say? He's on my top 10 in MySpace. Oh, man. Um, but you can follow me on, on Instagram. My name is Nasseh, Ahmed, Ahmed, Um Follow my YouTube channel, Life Center. No, I don't really have a YouTube channel. But yeah, Instagram is, is the best place to, to connect with me. Uh, a program that's really near and dear to my heart is the Rye Foundation. It's right here based in Chicago. So if you're interested in the growth work and what it means to be your best self, um, this is a program I highly recommend since I'm a part of it. Um, so feel free to reach out um, if you have any questions. But yeah. Alrighty. Thank you so much for coming. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for being on. Thank you for having me, guys. It's a pleasure. I did tear up in Coco. <laughs> Thank you guys for listening to this episode of Hustlers Dynamics with your hosts, Rakeep Thank and Wasif, co-founders of Built by AI. This podcast was provided by SW House, empowering brands through digital means. If you're more interested in learning more about this podcast or hearing more deep conversations like this, please follow us wherever these podcasts are available and be sure to give us a five-star review. Thank you guys. And, and cheers. be sure to give us a five-star review. Thank you, guys, and cheers.